as you as you're finding Matthew chapter nine, let me ask you this question: Have you ever heard of someone being referred to as the goat? Now that's not an insult. I mean, if you are, if you're like, well, yeah, I know what that means. If you don't know what that means, and you're like, what? Let me explain it. Goat is an acronym, means greatest of all time. It's usually an acronym that people throw at uh, some sort of a, uh, a musician or uh, or, per, or per, more primarily a sports figure who they want to they want to give them the label that that uh, of all time. Meaning this is the, this is the this is the greatest that's this is the greatest person to ever play the game or to play the sax or to sing a song or whatever. They're the best compared to anybody else. There's no comparison. They are the greatest of all time. And, and so when you're the greatest of all time. It's called, you're called the goat. It's not, doesn't sound very complimentary, but it's an amazing statement. Uh, but so we've been reading, we've been reading about the miracles of Jesus. And we, we recognize that the miracles of Jesus uh, had a tremendous impact on those who first saw them and experienced them. And one consistent overarching message uh, from all the miracles of Jesus is this. Jesus literally is the goat. <laughs> Jesus is the greatest of all time. And this is why we want to remember this, because the, the greater our view of Jesus, the more robust our faith and the more ready our obedience. If we want our faith to grow and our obedience to grow, then all we need to do is open wide and let our view of Jesus be enlarged. Big Jesus means big faith. When Jesus is big, other things aren't. When we say big Jesus, we mean Jesus is the greatest. No matter what is compared to him, no matter what we no matter what challenge we have, no matter what failure, no matter what fear, no matter what pain, no matter what Jesus is greater than. So we return to the Miracle stories in in Matthew to see again that Jesus is and today's and today's passage in particular lends us to this this phrase Jesus is the greatest of all time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is a short passage this morning. It's Matthew chapter nine, beginning at verse thirty-two. While they were going out, a man who was demon possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. No one's ever, this guy, this guy is, no one, no one, that no one and no thing compares to what, to what we see in this guy. Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, well, we'll come back to this later, but the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Come back to that. So, okay, so what happened in this story today? What happened? What's, what's going on here? What happened? Let's, let's, let's real quick take a look. Uh, uh, verse 32 says, while they were going out, behold. Now, your Bible might not, may or may not have the word behold in it because oftentimes the English 
versions uh, look at a word that's not necessarily uh, translatable or, or, or connecting to the psyche of the reader, so they don't necessarily include that, but we get the idea. But Matthew likes to include this word, behold, because uh, it's, and, he, and, he, and this is what it says. It says, while they were in, in the more wooden, it says, while they were going out, behold. So it, what, it, what it does is it's Matthew's attempt to show us the action sequence. So the reader in the original would have heard that while they were going out, look what happened next. And Jesus is on his way from opening the eyes of these blind men. And he's on his way, according to what we see in the text, he's on his way to proceed to the very next place to minister. And he's interrupted again. You might say, again. Okay? Because you need to notice that this is, this is, this is also a, a kind of a subtext. This is also part of the pattern. This is part of the story. Is Jesus being, Jesus interrupted. Okay? The, there is a sequence of action, interruption, action in verses 18, verse 20, verse 27, and now again in verse 32. The feel that Matthew is trying to communicate to us is that Jesus is being confronted by one need, by one impossible, insurmountable need after another. He just takes care of one impossible thing, and boom, here comes another impossible thing right in front of him. But Jesus is not overwhelmed. Instead, he meets every need with overwhelming force. Yes. He is, he is greater than, and he is even greater than interruptions or crises. Now, for a lot of us, living in day-to-day, Monday through Thursday worlds or whatever, that's a good word to remember. You know what? Jesus, we, you may not have a problem thinking that Jesus is greater than, you know, big things, you know, but, listen, but it's the little things that just drive you nuts and cause you to lose your mind and your sanity and nearly your salvation. Hey, guess what? Jesus is bigger than interruptions and crises and even, if he's bigger than all of this stuff, he's bigger than what annoys you. If you want to get over being annoyed, just make be you know make Jesus bigger. So, back to the story. So, behold, they brought to him a man. Oh, this is so good! It's so rich. I get so uh, they brought they brought to him a man who could not talk. He was mute. They brought to him a, 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 a man who was mute and demonized. I want you to see this. They this man. Look at the the contrast in the story so far. Look at everybody who's come to Jesus so far in Matthew's. Matthew chapter 8 and 9. <laughs> we spent a lot of time in two chapters. But look at everybody who's, who's come to Jesus in Matthew 8 and 9. Everybody in Matthew 8 and 9 has come to him. This man was brought to Jesus. This is different than those who sought Jesus. Others, in the passages so far, others could plead for him to come to their home. Others could fall down before him on their face. Others could reach out and even touch his garment unknowingly. Others could, others could cry out for him and follow after him. But this man could not ask for help. He was a prisoner of oppression. And his voice was silenced. Can you imagine being in a situation where you're a prisoner of oppression and you, you need help, but you can't, you can't, you're not even in the place where you are able to ask for it. Do 
you might say, well, gosh, it's not the worst. On a face value, you might say, you know, being mute may or may not be the worst. Uh, hey, that's not that's not too bad, you know. Uh, but this man was demonized and mute, and he he could tell no one of his pain. He couldn't ask for help. He was he all he could do was suffer. Unless others, unless other people intervened on his behalf, he would have remained hopeless. Unless other people intervened on his behalf, he would have remained hopeless. He had to be brought. Lord, let us speak for those who cannot. Lord, let us come to the urgent aid of those who cannot aid themselves. You know, people like to misquote or attribute to the Bible a a silly statement that says, you know, the Bible says uh, God helps those who help themselves. Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't come near it. It's not in the Bible anywhere. But what is the Bible is rife with, the Bible is rife with the expectation that God expects us to help those who cannot help themselves. The silent heroes, the silent also heroes in this story were those who cared enough, who took, who would take the responsibility and the risk to care enough for this man to do everything they could to bring him to Jesus. It was worth it was their responsibility and they took the, they were willing to embrace the responsibility and, and take the risk of bringing a demonized man and they bring him to Jesus. And all we're told is and now Matthew is great. Other other if we read other gospels Mark is Mark is great for details. He tells us the color of the the color of the grass where they're sitting. He really does. Matthew doesn't have any interest in that. Matthew is all business. Matthew doesn't, he leaves out details. All he wants us to know is just, <laughs> I really believe all Matthew wants his readers to know is just how big Jesus is. Wow. So it just says, and they brought him to Jesus, and then the next thing is, and when the demon was driven out. doesn't even tell us how it happened or what he did. He just tells us, oh, and by the way, Bob's your uncle. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute, smoke. Smoke. Spoke. He didn't smoke. I don't think he smoked. I think he was a good Christian. Um, uh, when, the de- when the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. Here, the cause of the condition was demonic oppression. So Jesus does not just deal with the symptom. He deals with the source. You can't just use a weed whacker to get rid of weeds. You have to pull them out by the root. If you don't deal with the root the problem returns. The question might be, are you and I willing to let Jesus deal with our roots? The roots of the conditions in our life. Jesus doesn't want to just deal with the symptoms. He's going to deal with the source and that way bring deliverance and healing from both. I want you to consider that, as as we've read so far, that none of the illnesses that we've read, none of the conditions, none of the illnesses that we have read so far in chapters 8 and 9, none of them are attributed to, uh, none of these ailments are attributed to demonic oppression. This this one is. This one is, says, this man had a physical infirmity, and it the direct, it was direct, direct cause of it was a, an unclean spirit, a demon. But again, that does but but it's not to shame the man. The man is not shamed, he's still treated as a victim. But I, I want you to see that, that that means that this that that there can be that physical infirmity 
can, the, the root of it can be an invader, an unclean, an, an unclean, an evil spirit, an evil force at work, oppressing our lives and manifesting in a physical condition. It's possible. It's a it's a it's a po- it's a potential reality. It doesn't mean it's a universal reality. We don't need to get all worried about it. But it is possible, and it, and if we follow Jesus, it must be something that we're willing to confront. Now. What else do we see is this. In, in, these, in chapters 8 and 9, we have seen two cases, two specific cases of demonic oppression on, on people. Two individual stories that Matthew has singled out. And we've seen how in, those, in, in both of these, in, the, in both of the gathering demoniacs and this man, we've seen how, the, how, how demons uh, hurt people. In the, there's two examples here, and I think it's interesting. To, to see the extreme. In one, in the Gerardine demoniacs, demons caused men to scream in pain and in rage and to cause chaos. So you see uncontrollable screaming and loudness, unrestrained volume and rage, confusion, strife, fright, anger. Okay, uh, uh, They terrified those around them. Uncontrolled sc- the screaming. But in this case, the man is silenced. So what we all we see right now is the the effect of the effect of evil upon people is either they are driven to madness or they are muted. Demons either agitate or they subjugate. But Jesus confronts them. And in this case Jesus confronts and expels the demon and cures that condition caused by the demon. In one swoop, he doesn't even describe it. It's so it's like instant. The man is brought and he's delivered and healed by Jesus uh, in a moment. In a in one movement, he is both delivered and healed. Now, it's it is vital that you and I stop and stare at that. It's important that we be shocked, that we be blown away. It's more. You say, "Well, I wish I could see more details how he did it." No, I don't think Matthew wants us to study the details, lest we lest we think, "Oh, it must have been the formula. It must have been the super, the super secret ninja way Jesus did it. He must be a Jedi, and this was the magic spell." No, Jesus is greater than. That's all we need to see. Here's an impossible, hopeless situation, and as soon as it's brought to Jesus, it is met with overwhelming force. Jesus is greater than. We must respond to this with shock and awe and wonder if we are going to enjoy and embrace a big Jesus. Now, then right away, let's stay with the story. Right away, verse 33, and the crowds marveled. Here, I think, is the... Although there's... The narrator, Matthew, gives us two endings to the story, but this is the big ending, and then he has another point as well. But here's the point that, as disciples of Jesus, should should thrill us and challenge us. Here's the, the point, if you will, I think is the point, the main point of the passage. The crowds marveled and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. When you consider all that has happened in Israel, and these people knew their Bibles, they were they started memorizing the boys in particular started memorizing Leviticus at age five. They knew the Pentateuch, they knew the stories, they knew the characters, they knew the history. And when you consider all that has happened, think about all the Old Testament, all of it, from Moses and the and the and the covenant. And the, and the plagues and the earth opening and the mountain shaking and all of the things and the armies and the sun standing still and Joshua and judges and kings and David and prophets and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elijah and Elisha and all of the stuff. Yeah. 
and Daniel and lions and dens and lions and tigers and bears. Think of all the stuff that has happened in all the history of Israel. And these people say with one voice, nothing like this has ever happened before. By like this, the reader should probably keep in mind the entire series of events. Not just this one guy, but the entire series of events. Meaning, as we read Matthew 8 and 9, the kind of the, the concluding summary of the crowds as they hear all this, it's just like at the end of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, at the end of that, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the crowd said they were shocked and they were amazed at the authority that with which Jesus spoke. It wasn't just the last verse, it was the entirety of the, of the, of the sermon of 5, 6, and 7. They respond with wonder at his authority. Now, Matthew's eight, Matthew 8 and 9, from this story, Matthew wants us to see that at the work, they, weren't, they didn't just marvel at the words of Jesus, they marveled at the works of Jesus, and they looked at what Jesus did, and they said, nothing like this has ever been done before. Nothing like this has ever been seen. So by like this, we should keep in mind, they meant like, we haven't seen anything like leprosy being healed with a touch. And the paralyzed being healed at long distance. And the wind and the waves commanded to be still. And demons being, hordes of demons being driven out with a command. And sin being forgiven by pronouncement. And the dead being raised. And, and, and incurable uh, 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 sicknesses being immediately delivered. And blind eyes being opened. And the mute speaking. Jesus is the greatest of all time. And because because Jesus is greater, we can be certain that just because it has never happened before doesn't mean that Jesus can't do it now. He is greater than. He is bigger than history. He is bigger than precedent. He is bigger than our frame of reference. The past does not have the last word, Jesus does. Your past doesn't have the last word, Jesus does. Your present circumstances don't have the past word, the last word, Jesus does. Your, your, your diagnosis, your condition, your sentence, your outlook, your, when you look out your window and it looks hazy or scary or sad or whatever, look, I don't want to get all saying, to, no, I'll just say it gently. There isn't a political body in the world that has the last word. Jesus does. That's it. Ain't no, and no virus has the last word. No virus gets to say, now this is how it's going to be forever. I'm going to change. Nope. Jesus. Because Jesus is greater. Yes. Now verse 34 kind of ends on a sour note a little bit, but Jesus, the, verse 34, in response to all this, the Pharisees respond to all of this and they say, well, maybe I should do it this way. Um, we believe he's casting out these demons by uh, the prince of the demons. We believe this. And uh, what they mean is this, very clearly. Don't, don't underestimate how significant that is. They were asserting that Jesus was only doing these things because... He had made a pact with the devil. Now, can we just take a quick time out and talk about the absurdity of that? You know how he's getting people healed and set free and their blind eyes are being opened and deaf ears are being opened and, and, and people with issues of blood and bleeding to death are stopping and leprosy's gone and, and all that. You know the devil's up to it. The devil's up to something. <laughs> 
Anyway, so Jesus will tell them a lot later how ridiculous that is. But for now, they're saying, he, and they're, they're particularly talking about the fact that this guy was clearly demonized and now he's not. So the only way that's possible, the only way that's possible, why did they say the only way that's possible? There's two reasons. Number one, it's, it had never happened before. There's no, nothing like this had ever been seen. Nobody had ever been able to drive out demons with a command. The, the, the Pharisees tried to practice it with hocus pocus and unga bunga, and they did. They had they had all the stuff that they had learned since the days of Solomon, uh, uh, incense and incantations, and quoting the names of great angels and all this stuff. And all it would do would it was was provoke or silence, or it would kind of deal with stuff. Uh, but it, no, no one was ever was ever successful. And here is Jesus with a word dealing with it, and that's why they said, "Well, the only way that's possible is if he made a pact with the devil." The Pharisees, seeing what Jesus had done. Hearing how people are praising him and being powerless against the facts have no argument. So they result or they, re, they, they revert to insult and accusation. Now there is a brief wisdom sea law for us. First of all, uh, remember we, we all, if, if there, there's, a, there's an appropriate place for debate and discussion. But you don't win a debate by raising your voice. You win it by reinforcing your argument. And you don't. The men, men, people of God should never respond in debate, and we should never just revert to insult and, and insinuation and accusation. We should never. Ne- we should never do that. But also, we we know this: that Proverbs twenty nine says that when you go to court with a fool, all the fool is going to do is is mock you. That's that's our only argument is mockery. So. Matthew is exposing the foolery, the foolery of the Pharisees. But there's more to it. Even in the second century, a hundred years after this and more, uh, the, the miracles of Jesus were widely accepted as happening. No one denied that, that they happened. Not in, they didn't deny them in real time, and they didn't deny them after he was gone and ascended, and they didn't deny him a hundred years later, and they didn't deny his miracles even hundreds of years later. In fact, no one even questioned the miracles that Jesus did until about 1,600 years later. I've talked about that. So they, only when they got about 16 centuries away did they think, you know what, we got a better idea as to what probably happened. Anyway, so, but no one, no one denied his miracles, but even a hundred years after Jesus, his detractors were saying, yeah, those miracles definitely happened, but Jesus was a sorcerer. They, they, they accused him of, of, of sorcery. Now, the point is, in real time, his detractors knew full well, this is the point, that if their accusation that he, would, that he had made a pact with the devil, if, if that accusation stuck, that Jesus would be executed. So when you read this, don't think, oh, those guys are just being jerks. This is not just sour grapes. This is, in chapter 9, this is attempted murder. So what do we see from that? We back up and we see, look at these two responses. The crowd responds in praise and adulation and wonder, and the Pharisees, who should have known better, who should have known Jesus, uh, respond in rejection and in, and in, and in bitter, bitter re- uh, resentment. Well, that tells us something about when we really, everybody, everybody was getting a good look at Jesus, right? That tells us that when, that if, if we see Jesus, if we are able to see Jesus as who he is, the goat, <laughs> the greatest of all time, then that response will either be great celebration or rejection. 
If people see the true greatness of Jesus, it is impossible to remain neutral. Right. So don't buy it. I don't buy this uh, this new this neutral kind of. Uh, I'm sort of I'm sort of a follower of Jesus. If that's friend, I love you. I care about you. But if you would define yourself as, eh, you know, I'm not too excited. I mean, I'm sort of a follower of Jesus. I think Jesus is all right. I wear a bumper sticker. I got a shirt somewhere. Uh, uh, if that's your approach to Jesus, friend, let me let me tell you something. Let me tell you really good news. You haven't really met him. Wow. Because he is the greatest of all yeah. time. Hallelujah. We will either raise our hands in glad surrender and praise, or we will raise our fists and close our hearts in bitter rebellion. How does this teach us to follow Jesus today? Let's let's bring this to a, an encouraging close. How do I, what do I think? It's what, as the Lord leads us today, how, how might I say this? How do I think this, this encourages us or teaches us to follow after Jesus? Well, again, it should remind us of how big Jesus is. We should be reminded of just how big Jesus is. <clears throat> Remember, Jesus is the biggest. He is the greatest of all time. Yeah. And he is still greater than. Jesus is still greater than. So listen, imagine I had a scale today, right? I want you on one side of the scale to take all of your history. Right over here. Take all of your history. Take all of your disappointment. Take all of your fear. Take all of failure. Now add to this part of the scale. Now, now take all of the voices of negativity that have been spoken over you or to you or in your own head. Still here? Take all the voices of shame. Put them here. Take all of the unbelief that you have heard or experienced or encountered or all of your disappointments. Put it right here. Take all of the evidence that says it can't be, it's over. Put it right here. Take every challenge, every crisis, and every opportunity. Take the past, the present, and the future and put them right here. And then put Jesus here. And Jesus is greater than them all. Yes. Yes, he is. Jesus is the greatest of all time. As we prepare to worship the Lord with uh, a gather on the Lord's table today, I encourage you to think about that communion really does remind us that Jesus is the greatest. It reminds us of everything that Jesus is greater than. As we celebrate communion, we remember what the Lord, what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53. Listen to what Jesus, I gotta say more, I gotta say this all of a sudden. Listen to what Jesus is greater than. Ready? Surely, or without, without question, he took up our pain. He is, I might need your help here, baby. He is greater than your pain. Yes, he is. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He is greater than your suffering. That's it. And yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He's greater than your transgressions. Mm-hmm. He is greater than every time you have crossed the line. This And transgression has to do with being willfully, rebelliously crossing the line into sin. Mm. He's greater than that. Wow. 
He is greater. He's greater than your stubborn rebellion against him. Yeah, let that sink in a minute. That's big. He was crushed for our iniquities. Iniquity has to do with the bent, the proclivity you have. I mean it. Yeah, you, you say, you mean my temper problem? Yep. You mean the... You mean that since when I was... You mean that... Yeah, I mean that thing that you were introduced to when you were a little boy. Where no one protected you and they put filth and vile things in front of you and it poisoned your head and left roots that you struggled to get rid of. That, that's an infirmity. That, that's an iniquity. That's a, a proclivity that was sown in there. Mm -hmm. Jesus is greater than that. Yes, he is. He's greater than your addictions. Mm -hmm. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. He is greater than, <laughs> listen, he is greater than the verdict against us. Mm. He is greater, the verdict against us is torment and punishment, mm -hmm. the wrath of God. But he's greater than that. He took it upon himself so that we could have peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. He's greater than our affliction, our torment, our disease. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Mm -hmm. He forgives all my sins, and heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit. He crowns me. He crowns me with loving kindness. He renews my youth like the eagles. He's greater than. He is greater. Listen to what else Jesus is greater than. Listen to how great he is. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's greater than poverty. He has sent me to, he has sent me he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He's greater than your broken heart. Yes, he is. To proclaim freedom to the captives. He is greater than your captivity. To release to release release from darkness the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. He is greater than your grief. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. To bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. Mm. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Mm. I could go on and on and on about how great he is. The Bible is full. It's landscaped with the story that Jesus is greater than. And that's what we remember in these moments we have together around the table of the Lord. That on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Mm -hmm. Usually we say a lot of things, but today for, this, for simplicity's sake, I want you to hold this bread in your hand and say, this represents the body of the Lord broken for me. And, it mean, and Jesus, his body, his broken body is greater than. Yes, it's greater than. <laughs> yes. His broken body is greater than.
His broken body is greater. Greater than fear, greater than depression, greater than guilt and doubt. Let's take this wafer, this bread, whatever you have with you today, and just say, as you receive it today with faith and gratitude, give thanks. Just give thanks that Jesus is greater than. the same night Jesus took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood Mm -hmm. he said it was a ransom that would be poured out for many Paul tells us that it's the blood of Jesus but because of the blood of Jesus he said we have redemption Mm -hmm. and the forgiveness of sins the blood of Jesus draws us close draws us close and drives our sin away Our sin is forgiven, it's cut off, it's sent away, Mm -hmm. but we are brought near. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 2 says, you have been brought near. It's a passive thing. You have been squeezed close Mm -hmm. by the blood of Jesus. So the blood of Jesus is greater than than the distance you feel from God. Mm, That's good. That's good. The blood of Jesus is greater than the distance you feel. The, the blood of Jesus is greater than however far you have walked away from God. The blood of Jesus has greater than that distance. The blood of Jesus is greater than how far you just feel. Mm-hmm. It's, better, it's greater than your feelings. His blood shed for you is, bigger, is greater than your feelings. It's greater than your failures. Mm. And it is immeasurably, (laughs) it is immeasurably and eternally greater than our sin. Immeasurably and eternally greater than all our sin. Mm -hmm. So with gratitude today, would you take that cup and just say, thank you, Jesus, Jesus. that your blood is greater. greater. You are, you got nuts. Mm. And now, may the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. Mm -hmm. May you turn his countenance toward you. Mm. May you know, may you know the blessing of his presence in your heart. I just want to just squeeze everything right now. May you know the blessing of his presence in your heart, in your homes today. In the name of Jesus, may your hearts and your homes and your the room and the place that you're watching, whether alone or with others, be filled with the Spirit. May you sense now the tangible presence of God. And may you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying to you over and over again, Jesus is greater. Lord, we give you thanks and praise today. May your blessing be upon your people. Amen. 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 We love you all. We love you all. We'll see you sooner and later. We'll check in with you again. Again, remember, 
Those of you that might need specific prayer need or pantry help, Lord, I'll see you today between 2 and 4 in the church cafe. God bless you.